Well, pitchers and catchers have reported, and some managers are already on the hot seat. You are locked on MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. If you don't believe me, hey, look at that. I got a lower third where I'm called Sully. I am a baseball podcaster and have been for the past, oh, God, how long has it been? Really, it's been about 12 years. And about half of them have been here at the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm looking forward. Pitchers and catchers are there. We're starting the season up, and all is well in the world. Follow us at Lockdown MLB Pods on Twitter or whatever it's called now. And Instagram, I am your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter. Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. And today's episode is brought to you in part by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Excuse me. New customers join today, and you'll get $150 in bonus bets if your first $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. I'm really sorry I'm recording this late, and I had a little bit of a tiny cough there. But we're going to get through this, folks. We are going to get through this. I'll talk, first of all, about the trivia question. Trivia question we did yesterday was, which player, which Oakland A's player, hit the first home run? at the Oakland Coliseum in their opening game in 1968. Who hit the, which A's player hit the first home run in the Oakland Coliseum? And Court Stell got it correct. A couple of other you got it correct. The answer was Rick Monday. Now, Rick Monday was a number one overall pick. He was supposed to be one of the great cornerstones of the great A's teams that they put together. And he was certainly part of the culture that improved the team. He was part of the first team that won the division in 1971, but then he was traded away after the 1971 division title for Ken Holtzman. And that was a real huge trade for the A's. Ken Holtzman became a critical uh, part of the team. He started, he was the number one starter in three consecutive World Series. The A's started game one of the 1972, 1973, and 1974 World Series as a member of the Oakland A's, and he wound up uh, winning World Series rings all three times. Uh, the next pitcher to start game one of the World Series uh, in 1975 is someone who we're going to be paying tribute to at the end of the game. Another person started three straight World Series uh, game ones and was on the winning side of all three of those World Series and was briefly a teammate of Ken Holtzman, and we're going to be paying tribute to him at the end because uh, you know we lost a player who had a, a brief but wonderful career and a legend in Cincinnati and the kind of player who I like to celebrate. Uh, just answer a couple of quick comments I got. A lot of stuff talking about the A's stadium situation. We'll get into more of that later. Uh, I like uh, this one was from um, – this was – who was this one from? I can't uh, – um, who sent me – I'm sorry. Someone sent me this one. Who was it? It was uh, Zach Bush. Sorry, Zach, your, your your name came up a little fuzzy on my screen here. He says, the A's 
can play at their spring training park for a few years if they have to wait a while for a stadium to be built. It's not ideal, but the Blue Jays did it during COVID. Plus, the A's are clearly run out of ideal situation, ideal solutions at this point. Um, yeah, the, the Blue Jays did it because we're in the middle of COVID and they weren't allowed to cross an international border. So you know a situation is bad with a stadium when you're comparing it to the international laws during a worldwide pandemic. That was a worldwide pandemic that caught us all off guard. This is a move to a stadium that we've known about for years. Congratulations, A's. You've created a comparison to COVID. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the idea of of managers on the hot seat. Every year, there is a manager who is rumored to be to be fired here, fired there. Um, sometimes the firing of a manager makes sense. Sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes it's just not working out. And sometimes the change of a manager could go a long way of, you know, for the lack of a better term, changing the culture of a team. And sometimes it uh, sometimes it's just there to basically give the fan base who is thirsty for blood uh, a sense that the the ownership is saying, all right, we acknowledge that this isn't working and we have to do something. You can't fire the players. So, you know, chop the manager's head off. Sometimes it worked out. There have been instances where a team has been floundering and a managerial change is made in midseason. And suddenly the team goes in a better direction. Uh, sadly, I will just say the, the late Jimmy Williams, who spelled his name with one M, uh, was fired midway through the 2004 season as the manager of the Houston Astros. He was replaced by Phil Garner, and the team took off under Garner and went all the way to the World Series. Uh, sometimes that happens. You saw it happen when Jeff Torborg was fired midway through the 2003 season as the manager of the Florida Marlins. He was replaced by uh, Jack McKeon. And Jack McKeon took the team to the World Series title with the Marlins. Sometimes you make that trade in midseason and things click. And sometimes it doesn't. Jimmy Williams was fired in the middle of the 2001 season when he was managing the Red Sox, who were completely decimated with injuries, but still hanging on in the race. And the nanosecond he was fired and replaced with Joe Kerrigan, the team absolutely fell into a cesspool. We've seen... The firing of Joe Madden by the by the Angels a few years ago, and the Angels didn't really respond. But we saw the firing of Joe Girardi in the middle of the 2022 season. They went on to Game Six of the World Series that year. Most of the time, a managerial change is cosmetic. As I said, there are people outside, like they're screaming for Marie Antoinette to have the head chopped off, and at least as a way of saying, "Hey, we're being proactive." Now, I was reading a couple articles and sort of doing a little bit of research on this, and the name Aaron Boone kept coming up. Is Aaron Boone on the hot seat? Is Aaron Boone going to get fired? And truth be told, this is a this is an interesting factoid. The Yankees won their first World Series almost uh, 101 years ago in 1923. Miller Huggins was the manager of that team. 
Since then, in the last 100 years, Aaron Boone is the Yankee manager who has had the longest tenure without a single appearance in the World Series. Six years, he's about to start his seventh. Seven, this will be seven seasons and not one trip to the World Series. A couple trips to the League Championship Series, but no trips to the World Series. Buck Showalter had been the longest tenured, and he had gone five years without appearing in a single World Series. Keep in mind, the 1994 season was cut short by the strike, and chances are the Yankees would have given a – they would have certainly contended for that pennant. The White Sox were also very, very good that year. But uh, the Yankees had the best record in the American League. So this is the longest a manager has gone with the Yankees since their first World Series title without a trip to the World Series, with, with you know, longest managerial tenure. Well, keep in mind, Brian Cashman has Aaron Boone as his guy. As long as Boone is there, Cashman has protection from any of the bad press that may go his way. Cashman's had the car keys for a long, long time, longer than a, a general manager should. Even if he's capable, at some point, you got to mix things up and go in a different direction. Hell, even Branch Rickey wound up going from different teams. At some point, you got to sort of shake the etch-a-sketch and try something new, especially with the sort of malaise the Yankees have had in terms of they're good enough to make the playoffs, but how many elite teams have they had in the last 10 years? Two? Maybe? And as long as Boone is there, or as long as Cash is there, Boone's never going to be fired. And Cashman will never be fired because Hal Steinbrenner won't fire him. Because they he could they're they're peers, they're about the same age. And Hal doesn't want to be his dad. And the whole thing about his dad firing managers and general managers has been romanticized over the years. I was there when it was happening. Fans hated it, and most of the times it was disastrous. So the only way Aaron Boone is in any trouble is if they wind up doing worse in 2024 than they did in 2023. If they finish 500 or worse, maybe he might be in a tiny bit of trouble. But if they win 83 games, 83 games, if they just finish three games above 500, then guess what? His job is safe because he can point out, hey, hey, we did better than last year. So uh, I don't think Boone's job is at all in trouble. And the same with Oliver Marmel, whose name got thrown around. This was the worst Cardinal year they've had in generations. And this was a team that was stacked, looked like they were going to win the division easily. And they fell in last place. It's one of the worst Cardinal teams we've seen uh, certainly in the last... 30, 40 years, but Marmel's not going to be traded or not going to be fired because the general manager who has a ton of heat on him, Zalek, there's a ton of, that's how he pronounce his name. I don't, I've never been able to pronounce his name and I apologize, but he's traded away Cy Young contenders, all-stars and all this to put together this super team that has completely flopped. They won the division in 2022. They bombed this year, and they're a year older now. And they're looking around, seeing a lot of those players 
are doing quite well, thank you very much. And he put all of his chips in the center of the table by firing Schilt after he had the phenomenal September in 2021. Marmel's his guy. And if they fire him now, he'll look pretty bad, especially since Schilt has taken over for San Diego. So even though those two should be on the hot seat, I don't think they are. Dave Roberts' name has come up a bunch, and I do understand that. If he doesn't win the World Series with this team, yeah, I can understand why he would have a little bit of uh, a spotlight on him. But quite frankly, the fact that he won 100-some-odd games with the team he had last year with that decimated starting pitching staff, I don't think they should. But he might have the heat on him. But there's a couple of managers who I think absolutely should have the heat on him. And one of them I mentioned last year, and it got a little bit of a hubbub when I mentioned that this one should have a heat on him in April. All right, let's talk about our new friends over at Backblaze. Now, here's something you got to do. Listen to me. Back up your files. Don't do what I do. Back up your files and have a way to access some of your files and have unlimited cloud backup for Macs, PCs, and businesses for just $99 a year. Easily protect business data through a centrally managed admin and protect all the data on your machines automatically. Backblaze is easy to deploy across multiple workstations with various deployment options. Add-on enterprise control includes granular access permissions, advanced signal sign-on, group management controls, and compliance support. And you can access your backup data from anywhere in the world using our web app, iOS, and Android apps. And you can restore by mail. Hard drive with all your data is shipped to your door. And you can buy a hard drive restore, send the hard drive back within 30 days, and get a full refund. You get one-year file retention, retention and version history. Over 55 billion files restored for customers. Visit backblaze.com slash locked on MLB so they know where you came from and continue to support the show. Backblaze, back them up and receive a fully featured no risk-free trial at backblaze.com slash locked on MLB. Go there, play with it. Start protecting yourself from potential bad times. Start today. Hey, here's a reminder that Lockdown has launched the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube, and it's now available on Amazon Fire TV in the free Fire TV channels app. Lockdown Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Lockdown, plus our national shows covering every league. Find Lockdown Sports Today now available on the free Fire TV channels app. Ah, the copywriter put free and fire next to each other. Dr. Seuss is writing some of our ads, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, one of the most listened to podcasts I did last summer was when I basically said the Blue Jays should fire John Schneider. I don't I, I don't get glee out of having people lose their job, I must say, but Schneider's had the job for a little bit. He was the interim manager when they they fired Charlie Montoyo and he did get him into the playoffs in 2022 and 2023. But I remember when they collapsed in the playoffs 
when he was the interim manager in 2022 and they absolutely bombed in the playoffs, had a huge lead against Seattle and they fell apart. I remember turning to my buddy Greg and saying, well, looks like they're going to get a new manager. And they didn't. They gave him a full year. And despite having a, a ton of talent on the team and a Yankee and Red Sox teams that were vulnerable, the Blue Jays didn't take advantage of it. Yes, they made the playoffs. But once again, boneheaded mistakes were made by the manager. And they did something that no other team would has done in a generation. That is lose to the Twins in the postseason. And I remember thinking when they when they pulled the pitcher too early in a in a elimination game and all this stuff. I thought, like, all right, well, Schneider's had his year and a half. Good for him. And he's back. I think there should be a gigantic spotlight on him, especially, and I can't emphasize this enough, especially when you consider the Red Sox are rebuilding and the Yankees, while I think they're going to be good, they're not a dominant team. They're a mid-80 win team, the Yankees are. Maybe low 90s, but they're, they're not the favorites to win this division. I don't care what Pakoda says. The Orioles are the team to be favored to win this division. And if not them, the Rays are going to do something. You know, they always do something bizarre. And the fact that you have a winnable American League East, which doesn't always happen, and the fact that nobody's mentioning the Blue Jays as a potential division winner, I think shines a gigantic spotlight on the organization and the fact that their interim manager is still sitting there. And I've made this point before. I've talked about Hensley Mullins and Roberto Kelly and some of the other people who could be managers. Did Joe Madden suddenly become dumb? Wasn't he someone that people wrote books about? They're engraving his Hall of Fame plaque when he took the Rays of all teams to the World Series in 2008. Had the Cubs... The Cubs win a World Series in 2019. Sure, things didn't go well for them in Anaheim. Nothing goes well for anybody in Anaheim. And he had to suffer. They suffered through injuries of both Otani and Trout and the COVID year before firing him in the middle of 2022. Sometimes you may want to get a good manager on the rebound, kind of like the Detroit Tigers did when they picked up Jim Leland who had done such a marvelous job with the Pirates and winning a World Series with the Marlins, but bombed when he managed the Colorado Rockies. Sat a year or so out, actually sat about five or six years out, and the Tigers came calling, and look at that. They went on a great run, winning two pennants. Why can't the Blue Jays give him a call? Is John Schneider that critical in Toronto Blue Jays lore? I'll tell you another person that sounds strange. I think Scott Services probably has a big old spotlight shined on him right now. Yes, the only other person not named Lou Pinella to lead the Seattle Mariners to a postseason is going to have a ton of pressure on him. They've been shifting a lot of the uh, decks, the deck chairs on there. And this was a team that was in first place by themselves in September, then wound up not making the playoffs at all, only to watch the Rangers go on and win it all. There's a window of opportunity for the Seattle Mariners, and if they don't get off to a solid start, I'm guessing the spotlight's going to be on Scott Service. I'll tell you, the spotlight will also be on Skip Schumacher, the manager of the Miami Marlins. Now, why is that, Sully? Why would that happen? Didn't he lead the Marlins to the playoffs last year? Yeah, yeah. And Kim Eng was the general manager of that team, and they pushed her out. And have new leadership there. 
And whenever there's a new GM, they tend to want to pick their own managers. Kim Eng inherited Don Mattingly and brought in Schumacher. You got a new people running the place, and it wouldn't stun me if the Marlins don't get off to a great start. They may call up someone else. Probably someone is, I don't know who it'll be. Probably won't be Hensley Mullins, Roberto Kelly, or Joe Madden, and I'll sit here rolling my eyes again. I'll tell you two other people who should be worried. And this may sound strange, but listen to me. I think that David Bell, the manager of the Cincinnati Reds, and Derek Shelton, the manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates, will be in deep trouble if they stumble out of the gate. The reason, again, you have a very winnable division. Yes, the Brewers still have talent on their team, but they lost their manager in their ace. Yes, the Cubs have made a bunch of big moves and they got a new great manager and some and made some quality moves this offseason, but they're not a super team yet. And the Reds, who are a contender for a big chunk of the middle third of last year, and the Pirates, who contended for the first third of last year, were a playoff team going into June. They're both teams that are filled with young talent that's a year older and looking to steal a winnable division. But if they come stumbling out of the gate with a losing record, they may pull the plug on their managers. Is it the right thing to do? Maybe, maybe not. But those are the main teams whose managers have to get off to a good start. If the Blue Jays got off to a bad start, they got to just, they got to pull the plug right away. If the Pirates and the Reds get off to awful starts, then they may have to do something. And same thing with the Mariners. And the Marlins just might do it just because. Because. Well, come back. We're going to talk a little bit about a player that we lost who's worth celebrating. Hey, here's our old friends at FanDuel. NBA. The Celtics absolutely clobbered the Nets. I hope he had a lot of money on the Celtics winning tonight. And who knows? Who are they going to play? Are the Celtics going to get all over the NBA Finals? Is it going to be against the Denver Nuggets? Is it going to be the Minnesota Timberwolves? Are we going to have Boston, L.A., except this time it's the Clippers? And why am I assuming it's going to be Boston? I don't know. I'm going to put my money on it. And I'm going to get my money back and win big through America's number one sportsbook. That's, that is FanDuel. I almost called them sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's 150 bucks if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and shoot your shot. FanDuel is an official sportsbook partner of the National Basketball Association. Swish. Last reminder, Lockdown has launched the first ever National Sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube, and it's now available on Amazon Fire TV in the free Fire TV channels app. Lockdown Sports Day is there for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day, local experts of Lockdown, plus national shows like this one, covering every league. Find Lockdown Sports Today now available on the free Fire TV channels app. We lost Don Gullett today. Don Gullett died and he was uh, he was only 73 years old. In fact, his birthday 
uh, was just a few weeks ago. Don Gullett didn't have a very long career. Uh, he only pitched nine years in the major leagues, and saying it was nine is a bit of a stretch because uh, his final year, 1978, he only pitched eight games. But he, in that period of time between his debut as a 19-year-old phenom with the Cincinnati Reds to pitching in the 1977 World Series, he packed a lot into those nine years. He was, again, a young phenom with who struck out a ton of batters. I love that Johnny Bench had the, the line that he could throw a ball through a car wash and it wouldn't get wet. And he had a phenomenal... He, he had a, a, a he was tremendous as a 19 year old pitching in relief and as a spot starter in 1970. And the uh, Reds wound up going to the World Series in 1970. In 71, when he was 20 years old, had the best winning percentage in the National League. He made 31 starts. He threw 217 and two thirds innings. He had hepatitis in 1972. And yet contributed when the Reds went to the World Series that year. And then during the Big Red Machine, he was their most reliable starter. You know, the, the Big Red Machine was criticized a little bit because they didn't have the giant, famous Cy Young award-winning ace. But they did have Gullet, who finished twice in the top 10 in Cy Young, had a bunch of years where he threw 200-some-odd innings, won a ton of games, and was a super reliable pitcher that set up the tremendous bullpen that the Reds had. He didn't have the big uh, complete game totals that a lot of the superstar studs had. But when you had the dynamite, Will McEnany, Raleigh Eastwick, Pedro Barbone, Clay Carroll, all those amazing relievers that the Reds had, you just need to pitch six or seven innings and you're going to win the game. He was the game one star of the 1975 World Series against the Red Sox, considered to be the greatest World Series of all time by many people. He was a game one starter in the World Series of 1976 when the Reds beat the Yankees, and he won his game going seven and two-thirds innings. And then he was a game one starter in the 1977 World Series when he jumped to the Yankees as a free agent. Now, he wound up getting hurt in that World Series, so he he only made his two appearances, and he barely appeared in 1978. He had some health issues. He was a big smoker, and he wound up having a heart attack when he was only in his 40s and became a pitching coach for the Reds and was elected to the Reds Hall of Fame. He had one of those careers that sometimes gets lost with time because he didn't win the Cy Young. He didn't. Uh, he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he wound up only pitching eight seasons in the major leagues. Um, he didn't, he wasn't a right. In fact, he never made an all-star team, which is bizarre. And it's kind of shows you a little bit of what the all-star game is about. And for fans outside of Cincinnati, eh, he's a guy, well, I, I think he was pretty good. I think about pitchers who had those short spurts or short spurts of brilliance. Tim Lincecum is an example of one. The most obvious one of all of all time is probably Mark Fidrich in his brief, absolute superstar shine with the uh, Detroit Tigers. This is someone who checked every box, did everything you would want for a pitcher, just didn't have the longevity and didn't have the the international stardom that some people have. 
but the great teams, when you look at some of the great teams in baseball history, they have their big stars and they're filled with the Don Gullets of the world. You know, the way that the great Yankee teams with Casey Stengel had the Eddie Lopats and the same way that the, you know, you take a look at some of the, you know, the big red machine, obviously they had Gullet and the A's I mentioned before had Ken Holtzman and you had the, the Bronson Arroyos with the Red Sox and the Ramiro Mendoza's with the Yankees. And all the time when you find these wonderful teams, there's always good, the Bob Forshes with the Cardinals. There's always these people who weren't superstars, but were super reliable. And sadly, they tend to be the ones who fade out into obscurity once the people who had seen them in person start to fade away and other people start to have their own new heroes, the Don Gullets of the world become a little more obscure. And if that happens, it's just, it's cruel and it's too bad. But Don Gullet had a absolutely marvelous, if too brief career. He had, he went from a phenom coming up as a teenager in 1970 to wrapping up his career in 1978. But man, he packed a lot in on those years. Rest in peace, Mr. Gullet. Which leads us to today's trivia question. Today's trivia question, I, mem- I remember I mentioned the Angels and uh, Joe Madden managing them and they let him go. Uh, the Angels. How many managers of the Angels have been the American League All-Star Game manager. How many times has it happened that the Angels had the manager in the All-Star Game? Think about that. And send your answers down here to Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter or on Instagram. I'm your pal Sully with Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Not wanting to fire a manager, but wondering if a few might need to get the heave and also the hoe. This is Locked On MLB for the 15th day of February 2024. God, we're already halfway through February. I'm yours, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.